Chapter 30, Part 1 of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years' Recollections of P.T. Barnum, written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by phone. Struggles and Triumphs of P.T. Barnum, Chapter 30, in Holland, Part 1. Holland gave me more genuine satisfaction than any other foreign country I have ever visited, if I except Great Britain. Redeemed as a large portion of the whole surface of the land has been, from the bottom of the sea, by the wonderful dikes, which are monuments of the industry of whole generations of human beavers, Holland seems to me the most curious as well as interesting country in the world. The people, too, with their quaint costumes, their extraordinary cleanliness, their thrift, industry, and frugality, pleased me very much. It is the universal testimony of all travellers that the Hollanders are the neatest and most economical people among all nations. So far as cleanliness is concerned, in Holland it is evidently not next to, but far ahead of godliness. It is rare indeed to meet a ragged, dirty or drunken person. The people are very temperate and economical in their habits, and even the very rich, and there is a vast amount of wealth in the country, live with great frugality, though all of the people live well. As for the scenery, I cannot say much for it, since it is only diversified by thousands of windmills, which are made to do all kinds of work, from grinding grain to pumping water from the inside of the dikes back to the sea again. As I exhibited the general only in Rotterdam and Amsterdam, and to no great profit in either city, we spent most of our time in rambling about to see what was to be seen. In the country villages it seemed as if every house was scrubbed twice and whitewashed once every day in the week, excepting Sunday. Some places were almost painfully pure, and I was in one village where horses and cattle were not allowed to go through the streets, and no one was permitted to wear their boots or shoes in the houses. There was a general and constant exercise of brooms, pails, floor brushes, and mops all over Holland, and in some places even, this kind of thing is carried so far, I am told, that the only trees set out are scrub oaks. The reason, I think, why our exhibitions were not more successful in Rotterdam and Amsterdam is that the people are too frugal to spend much money for amusement, but they and their habits and ways afforded us so much amusement that we were quite willing they should give our entertainment the go-by, as they generally did. We were in Amsterdam at the season of Kremis, or the annual fair which is held in all the principal towns, and where shows of all descriptions are open at prices for admission ranging from one to five pennies, and are attended by nearly the whole population. For the people generally, this one great holiday seems all-sufficient for the whole year. I went through scores of booths where curiosities and monstrosities of all kinds were exhibited, and was able to make some purchases and engagements for the American Museum. Among these was the Albino family, consisting of a man, his wife, and son, who were by far the most interesting and attractive specimens of their class I had ever seen. We visited The Hague, the capital and the finest city in Holland. It is handsomely and regularly laid out, and contains a beautiful theatre, a public picture gallery, which contains some of the best works of Van Dyck, Paul Butter, and other Dutch masters, while the museum is especially rich in rarities from China and Japan. When we arrived at The Hague, Mr. August Delmond, who had been the United States Minister at that court, had just gone home but I heard many encomiums passed upon him and his family, and I was told some pretty good stories of his familiarity with the king, and of the jolly times these two personages frequently enjoyed together. 
I did not miss visiting the great government museum, as I wished particularly to see the rich collection of Japanware and arms, made during the many years when the Dutch carried on almost exclusively the entire foreign trade with the Japanese. I spent several days in minutely examining these curious manufacturers of a people, who were then almost as little known to nations generally as are the inhabitants of the planet Jupiter. On the first day of my visit to this museum, I stood for an hour before a large case containing a most unique and extraordinary collection of fabulous animals, made from paper and other materials, and looking as natural and genuine as the stuffed skins of any animals in the American Museum. There were serpents two yards long, with a head and pair of feet at each end, frogs as large as a man, with human hands and feet, turtles with three heads, monkeys with two heads and six legs, scores of equally curious monstrosities, and at least two dozen mermaids of all sorts and sizes. Looking at these sirens, I easily divined from whence the Fiji mermaid originated. When I was standing near this remarkable cabinet, the superintendent of the museum came, and, introducing himself to me, asked me from what country I came and how I liked the museum. I told him that I was an American, and that the collection was interesting and remarkable, adding, you seem to have a great variety of mermaids here. Yes, he replied, the Japanese exercise great ingenuity in manufacturing fabulous animals, especially mermaids, and by the way, he added, your great showman, Barnum, is said to have succeeded in humbugging the Americans to a very considerable extent by means of what he claimed to be a veritable mermaid. I said that such was the story, though I believed that Barnum only used the mermaid as an advertisement for his museum. Perhaps so, responded the superintendent, but he is a shrewd and industrious manager. We have had frequent applications from his European agents for duplicates from our collection, and have occasionally sold some of them to be sent to America. The superintendent then politely asked me to go into his office, as he had something to offer me, which, as an American gentleman, he was sure I would prize highly, but the business was of a strictly confidential character. He asked me to be seated, and cautiously locking the door and drawing his chair near to mine, he informed me in a tone scarcely above a whisper that he was the executor of the estate of a wealthy gentleman, recently deceased, with power to dispose of the property, which included a large number of exceedingly valuable ancient and modern paintings. You must be well aware, he continued, that my countrymen would be extremely unwilling to permit these precious specimens of art to leave Holland, but, and here he gave my hand a slight but most friendly squeeze, I have such a high respect, I might almost say reverence for your great republic, that I am only too happy in the opportunity now afforded me of allowing you to take a very few of these fine paintings to America at an unprecedentedly low price. I thought he was a little too generous, and I gave him what the Irishman called an evasive answer, but this only seemed to stimulate him to further efforts to effect a sale. So he turned to his memorandum book and pointed out the names of gentlemen from Boston, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and New Orleans, who had ordered one or more cases from this large gallery of paintings. This exhibition was conclusive, and I at once said that I would not decide to purchase till I returned from Amsterdam. I quite understood the whole thing, but not to leave my anxious friend too long in suspense, I quietly handed my card to him, remarking, Perhaps you have heard of that name before. His cheeks were fairly crimson. Surely, said he, you are not Mr. Barnum, of the New York Museum? Nobody else, I replied with a laugh. 
He stammered out an apology for his mermaid remarks, but I patted him on the shoulder in a friendly way, telling him it was all right, and that I considered it a capital joke. This reassured him, and we then had a very pleasant half-hour's conversation, in which he gave me several valuable hints of curiosities to be procured at The Hague and elsewhere in Holland, and we parted good friends. A week afterwards, a young gentleman from Boston introduced himself to me at Amsterdam, and remarked that he knew I was there, for he had been so informed by the museum superintendent at The Hague. And, by the by, he added, as soon as this superintendent discovered I was from America, he told me if I would go into his office, he would show me the greatest curiosity in the museum. I went, and he pointed to the cart of P.T. Barnum, which he had conspicuously nailed up over his desk. He then told me about your visit to the museum last week. Did he sell you any paintings? I asked. No, was the reply, but he informed me that as executor of an estate, including a fine gallery, he could sell me a few cases at a very low price, mainly on account of his high regard for the great republic to which I belonged. I have no doubt that this estate is still unsettled, and that a few of the valuable paintings, if cheap Dutch artists keep up the supply, are still for sale to the public generally, and to representatives of the revered republic especially. Undoubtedly, this kind of business will continue so long as Waterloo relics are manufactured at Birmingham, and are sent to be ploughed in and dug up again on the memorable field where Wellington met Napoleon. And how many very worthy persons there are, like the superintendent of the Hague Museum, who have been terribly shocked at the story of the Fiji mermaid and the woolly horse. End of chapter 30, part 1